Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is something that was instituted uh, as a result of the visions of Jesus to Sister Faustina. The Divine Mercy is a a devotion to Jesus Christ associated with the reported apparitions of Jesus to Faustina Kowalski. The venerated image under this Christological title refers to what Kowalski's diary describes as God's loving mercy towards all people, especially for sinners. Uh, Kowalska was granted the title Secretary of Mercy by the Holy See in the Jubilee year of 2000. In February 1931, in Plock, Faustina Kowalska had a vision of Jesus who tasked her with spreading the devotion to his divine mercy. Kowalska reported a number of apparitions during religious ec- ecstasy which he described in her 1934-38 to 38 diary, later published as the book, Diary, Divine Mercy in the Soul. The true two main themes in this devotion are a trust in Christ's endless goodness and to show mercy to others acting as a conduit for God's love towards them. 
John Paul II, a native of Poland, had great affinity towards this devotion and authorized it in the liturgical calendar of the Roman Catholic Church. The liturgical feast of the Divine Mercy is celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter. Worshippers of the Divine Mercy commemorate the hour of mercy, 3 p.m., which, according to Kowalska's diary, is the time of the death of Jesus. And this, of course, is what Scripture says as well. So there are a few conditions to the Divine Mercy, uh, to receiving it. And it basically what the Divine Mercy is, is it basically is a plenary indulgence. Now, a plenary indulgence means there's there's two parts of, of uh, reparation or atonement for sin. First, the sin has to be forgiven. If a person has a mortal sin, dies in a state of mortal sin, unrepented, unforgiven, that person goes to hell. A person can be forgiven a mortal sin, but they still must make satisfaction for that sin, temporal satisfaction. Usually, uh, we are given the opportunity to make that temporal satisfaction in life. But if we don't make that temporal satisfaction, then we have to make that temporal satisfaction in purgatory. And what the divine mercy does, what the plenary indulgence does, is it remits all the punishment that would have been due uh, because of due to the temporal consequences of that sin. So a person receiving a plenary indulgence gets a clean slate. No, their their sins are forgiven, and a temporal punishment due to that sin is remitted. So if that person were to die right at that moment, they go straight to heaven as long as they meet all the conditions. Now, the conditions of the uh, divine mercy are as follows. You must receive uh, confession uh, within, um, I think it's eight days before. Hold on, let me go to the, uh, here's here's the opportunity for the, con- the condition. Sacramental confession, according to the Previously issued norms within about 20 days before or after you have to receive confession. Uh, you have to receive Eucharistic com- communion, preferably on the day or the days before or after. So I could receive tonight, which I'm going to do. You have to pray for the intentions of the Pope. And at some point in a in a church or chapel, you need to pray the prayers of the Divine Mercy, usually the Divine Mercy chaplet, which takes about five minutes and you can look up divine mercy chaplet you can pray it on ordinary rosary beads with an attitude of total repentance and total uh, an intention of being totally detached from all sin including venial sin now none of us can be perfectly detached from sin but it's the intention the sincere intention, the sincere effort to be completely and totally detached from sin. So this is a very, very short show, but we wanted to go over this because this is once a year. Now, this is the first Sunday after Easter, which uh, scripturally is the Sunday in which Jesus appeared to the apostles and doubting Thomas looked upon and touched the wounds of, of Jesus Christ 
and fell to his knees and said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says, uh, oh, so, you know, you know, so now that you see, you believe, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. So that is the Sunday that we're talking about, the second Sunday of Easter, uh, the eighth day of the octave of Easter. And John Paul II has declared Sister Faustina a saint, which is an infallible pronouncement. And he has declared the uh, divine mercy as a um, you know, as a, a solemnity, a feast of the church, and uh, it goes with it. I mean, like, like I said, it goes with it, and a plenary indulgence, complete and total remission of all sins and punishment. Now, what we played at the beginning is Donna Corey Gibson's uh, rendition of the uh, one of the prayers that's part of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. O blood and water which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. That just says it all. And the Bible recounts that when Jesus was uh, jabbed in his side by a spear by the centurion who uh, tradition calls St. Longinus, it indeed was blood and water which gushed forth from that wound. Uh, even though Jesus was already dead, blood and water gushed forward, uh, forth from that. And tradition has it that St. Longinus was cured of his blindness as a result of that uh, that water which gushed forth. So that, in a nutshell, is the divine uh, mercy uh, indulgence. And I would invite you to go to the websites on the Divine Mercy Indulgence, learn the prayers of the Divine Mercy, get to church early, say the Divine Mercy Chaplet, uh, make sure that you receive uh, confession uh, up to 20 days before, 20 days after. Obviously, you do not want to receive communion in a state of mortal sin. So you, you obviously have to go to confession first. And we're about to have a caller uh, come in. My co-host is about to call into the show. So I'm waiting for that call to get his comments on that. And we're going to wrap this up very shortly. I have a very long weekend ahead of me. I'm going to be working overnight. But I did want to do a very, very quick um, show to bring this devotion to your attention if it had not already been brought to your attention. So waiting for Lewis to call in right now. I'll pick up the call as soon as he does, and we'll go from there. If you want to call in, if you have any questions or comments about the Divine uh, Mercy Chaplet, the Divine Mercy uh, Indulgence, or what it's based on, the idea of purgatory, the idea of indulgences, or any of the beliefs of Catholicism that surround this, the number to call in is 515-602-9655. Again, 515-602-9655. Or if you prefer, if you'd rather send us an email, you can send that email to email at thefourpersons.com. Again, that address is email at thefourpersons.com. So I had just received a message a few minutes ago from Lewis that said he was calling in, but I don't see his number coming up on the switchboard just yet. So that should be, that should be any minute. 
I also would invite you to read the diary, read St. Paulina's diary. It's about 400 and something odd pages. Um, but again, it is recognized by the church. This is not something like uh, you know, Medjugorje that's condemned and people follow it anyway. Uh, Garibaldal is condemned and people follow it anyway. Maria Divine Mercy is condemned and people follow it anyway. Uh, Divine Mercy is recognized by the church. It was instituted as a as a feast by uh, St. John Paul II. And Sister Faustina, I believe, was the first canonized saint of the uh, 20th, of 21st century. I believe that she was. Um, but she is a canonized saint, recognized by the church as a canonized saint. So this is a devotion that you can trust. You don't have to have any question or any doubt. And with that, Lewis just called in. Lewis, we just went over the Divine Mercy, the Divine Mercy Indulgence, uh, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and uh, everything that's involved in it. Uh, so I wanted to do a quick little show to make sure that everybody's aware of this. Uh, what would you like to add? Well, it kind of relates to indulgences in general. I feel that most people don't understand what they are. If you have gone over this already, please stop me. But an indulgence is a, forgi a forgiveness of punishment that came from sin that Christ has already pardoned. So the first thing people get wrong about indulgences is they think it's a way for Christ to forgive sins, and that is not true. An indulgence is... Um, to forgive the consequences of a sin Christ already forgave. So we already know by the blood of Christ, we are justified and pardoned from the eternal consequences of our sins, which is hell. But it doesn't mean that when we sin, there isn't an earthly consequence for what we do. Let's say I steal a car, and then I repent, and I remain in Christ because of that. Um, just because I've been spared from the consequences of hell doesn't mean there isn't going to be, I, I won't, for example, go to prison for stealing that car or face um, parole or something like that. So what an indulgence does is it lessens the consequence brought upon my sin that's been forgiven on earth. And scripture affirms this, and so does God's oral words. Mm -hmm. And the many ways that scripture and God's oral words teaches us we can loosen the consequences of our sins is through, well, good deeds, um, praying, praying the rosary, confession to Christ through confession through a priest, um, helping the poor. A big place that um, even donation is considered a way of atonement, well, you know, Protestants will say that um, that's buying forgiveness for sins, but like I said before, it's not buying forgiveness of sins because an indulgence already is for something a sin that's been forgiven. It's more so doing a good deed to pardon the consequences that your sins have brought upon. And that's in the Bible, actually. If I can actually bring up the verse. Yeah. And a lot of Protestants don't even know this verse exists. Mm -mm. And, it's in, and it's ironically in the Deuterocanonical books, too, that they removed and claimed that it's buying salvation. 
what the irony is, this very same teaching is also in the New Testament, so that excuse just doesn't stand even more. So here's the verse, Sirach 3.30-31. As water extinguishes a blazing fire, so almsgiving atones for sins. So those who repay favors give through the future. When they fail, fall, they will find support. Let me read it again. As water extinguishes a blazing fire, so arm givens atones for sins. Those who repay favors give through to the future. When they fall, they will find support. This is a very strong verse the Protestants just take their hair and rip it out when here they hear it. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, it's also reflected in the New Testament because the it, it's all summed up it in what James... I'm sorry. I was going to say it's all summed up in the New Testament of what James says, that love covers a multitude of sins. That's basically the summation of what you're saying is that uh, almsgiving, uh, sacrifices, uh, these types of things, these are acts of love. They're acts of love towards God. They're acts of love towards our neighbor. Uh, And love is a choice, and love has a cost. And... uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is that people need to understand, first of all, um, forgiveness of sin, as you pointed out, does not erase the temporal punishment for sin, does not erase the temporal consequences for sin. The other thing uh, that all of us at one time or another have had to learn the hard way is that forgiveness of sin doesn't doesn't uh, eliminate the practical consequences of sin Uh, in other words you may have done something or said something damaging to a relationship with another person and you go to church you go to confession you confess that sin you're truly sorry for you truly repent of it doesn't mean the damage uh, that's been done won't still remain Um, like you said uh, um, you know the car example that you gave. Well, if I if I go out and and, and I drive drunk, um, and and I wreck somebody's car, I can be forgiven of that sin, but their car is still damaged. The damage, you know, still continues. So, um, you know, this is, this is where we get into this difference between Protestantism and and Catholicism uh, with regard to the nature of sin. And and this this idea that we're saved by faith alone, and that um, it it they almost reduce it, Lewis. Well, I don't want to say almost; they do reduce it to a point where sin doesn't even matter anymore. I, I said a prayer once. I'm saved. I did an altar call years ago, so sin doesn't even matter anymore. Well, sin is a, is is an offense to God. It does damage to to our relationship with God. It does damage to our relationship with uh, with our fellow man, uh, and it does damage to our soul. Uh, so, the Catholic understanding is the biblical understanding that Jesus came not to give us a license to sin. He didn't suffer and die on the cross so that we would have a license to sin. He suffered and died on the cross in order to give us the graces and the power to overcome sin. And in the essence, that is 
the purpose of his mercy. And you can read this in Romans 2, that Jesus, uh, that God's um, long-suffering is intended to lead us. Any seeking of mercy from God that is not con- uh, that is not connected to a desire to repent, uh, a, a desire to, and, and the word repent means to turn away from. If we say we're sorry for our sins and we seek forgiveness, repentance must follow. And, and a lot of Protestants have this idea that 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 Catholics think, and I and and unfortunately, I think fairly enough that some Catholics do errantly think this or do errantly act like this. That it's kind of like the mechanical action of the of the uh, Jews of the Old Testament. Some of the Jews of the Old Testament is, you know, I'll I'll, I'll sin on Friday and then Saturday I'll go to temple make a sacrifice. Uh, for the forgiveness of my sin, but then Monday I'm going to go back out and sin again. Well, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, Lewis, God is not mocked. Uh, and if you're, if in fact, we actually call that a sin. We call it the sin of presumption. If you're presuming upon God's mercy, that's, that's a sin against the Holy Spirit. Uh, on the flip side, though... What's that? I wanted to add, it also shows that, like we talked about before in the book of Hebrews, which is one of the four books that Luther hated the most, or Luther hated, you know, the book of James, Revelation, Hebrews, and and one more book, but he hated the book of Hebrews because it showed that repentance and the work of, you know, repentance, which is a work, it plays a role in our salvation. Back in Hebrews 6, 4, 6, when it says, it talks about people that once had the Holy Spirit, that were once renewed, how hard it is for them to be renewed again once they, you know, have tasted all the things that are to come from being saved and have returned to how they were before. So, um, again, it shows you consciously returning, and that would include planning on it. Like, you can't fool God. You can't say, hey, I'm going to, you know, like you just said, I'm going to party and sin and then the next day I'm going to repent just so I can do it again, because that would not be counting. Mm-hmm. That would not be counted as a genuine repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, the Book of Hebrews make it, makes it clear that it's harder than that. Yeah, there's a there's an old saying that many who attempted, uh, many who intended uh, to seek forgiveness in the eleventh hour die at ten fifty nine. <laughs> there's a, that's there there's a, a a lot of truth to that age old wisdom, but I want to talk about. The opposite, the flip side, uh, and this is this is who's really being targeted here, the people who fall into the sin that's on the opposite side. My sin is too great. God can never forgive me. I, I want to overcome my sin, but I'm just not strong enough. I can't do it. I, it's, it it's hopeless. That's the sin on the opposite side. It's also a sin against the Holy Spirit. It's called the sin of despair. Those people need to understand the message of divine mercy. Can you overcome your sin? No, you cannot. You absolutely cannot. But it's not about you. It never was about you. It's not about what you can do. It's what about it's it's about what God can do through you. And with his grace and his assistance, nothing is impossible. 
and people that are in 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 addiction or whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever it is that you've done, divine mercy is for you. It's for you. Now, I'm not going to pretend that overcoming whatever it is that you're in is going to be easy. It's going to take work. It's going to take perseverance. But you know what? Keep going back. Keep going back to the throne of grace. If going to confession once every two months is not enough, go once a month. If going once a month is not enough, go every two weeks. Do what you have to do. Go to adoration. Go, uh, read, read scripture. Go to extra daily masses if you have to, if you can. Do whatever you can to give yourself that grace, but fight determined to pray and to overcome whatever it is. And if you do that, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that we pray to God for that God does not promise to answer. There are a lot of things. One thing that God, a prayer that God will always answer, that will always answer without fail, is a repentant sinner who seeks the graces needed for salvation. Lord, I repent of my sins. Help me. Help me to be saved. God will always honor that prayer. If the person is sincere, if the person is sincere and the person is truly trying, we need to have that hope. We need to have that confidence uh, that God will provide the mercy and the grace that you need to overcome. You agree? I fully agree. And you can find this in Scripture because Protestants, they like to attack confession and ask the question, why why should I confess my sins to a man when I can go to God directly? Two things that are wrong with that question is that Scripture teaches you you have to do this. And um, that same logic can be applied to anything. Why go to a doctor when well, I can get cured from God directly? Why go to a therapist when I can get help for my mental uh, problems from God directly? God uses people and works through people to do his deeds. He doesn't always simply just do them directly. And we see this all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, and it's shown in the New Testament with confession. Um, what does God, what does Christ tell the apostles when he resurrects? He breathes on them. He lays his hands on them and he says, whatever sins you guys forgive are forgiven. Whatever sins you guys retain are retained. And then you see them put this into practice. Um, I believe in that gathering when they called one of them. It's showing them acting as a vessel for Christ to loosening people of their sins. So um, they'll turn around and say, oh, no, loosening and binding simply means spreading the word, but um, it does not. If you look at church history, confession can be found since the first century, right from the start of Christianity. It, it does not mean simply just telling people and also that's just a very foolish interpretation to say that you, you you can you know the apostles have the power to choose who gets to hear the word or not um they're supposed to tell that to everyone so again that that interpretation just simply doesn't add up either no you're absolutely and right it says, go ahead you're absolutely right the um binding and loosing were legal terms that the jews very much understood uh, and, and in fact, we use them today when somebody is bound by a contract uh, or somebody is released from the requirements of a contract. So binding and loosing are, are legal terms that are in force today. 
uh, and it, and it was, uh, you know, when 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 Jesus said to Peter, "What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven; what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Uh, actually, the actual language is, "What you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven; what you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven." That's the actual literal translation. And Protestants um, will try to that by saying that he gave that power to all the apostles. But if you look at um, he also gave him the keys, which is something he gave to Peter alone and not the rest of the apostles. And um, there is a parallel between that and um, with King David giving the keys to his kingdom to his head servant. But I'm um, sorry for kind of getting off track, but yes. Nope. So I didn't intend for this to be a long show because I've got a big, you know, long, long day ahead of me. So, Lewis, uh, would you leave us with a closing prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dear Christ, our one and only Savior, born of the Virgin Mary, the one and only woman who have you've made sinless, thank you for um, allowing us to gather to get together to spread the gospel in the way that you intended, not the way that man intended. Through the teachings of the church you started down through apostolic succession. Thank you. Guide us in furthering the truth and your will. Guide us in bringing people back to the church that you started. Guide us in fighting against anti-Catholicism, anti-Christianity. Give us the strength and endurance to withheld any attack that might come from the enemy just like you gave that strength to your church, which we belong to. Give us forgiveness when we fail you and the strength to to repent and seek you. And let us never forget that we exist to serve you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, brother. And um, we've got a pre-recorded show tomorrow that I think you're going to really enjoy. Um, and like me, Terry Delp has to work an unbelievable amount of overtime this week. Uh, but we're we're doing a pre-recorded show tomorrow. You're going to like it, and it's basically uh, some clips from when he told his story with an apostolate that I used to belong to. Uh, and you're going to find his story very, very in- inspiring, and you're going to see why we're so excited about the upcoming. Uh, uh, program that he's going to be doing called Taking It to the Streets. With that, on behalf of Lewis and all the other members of the Four Persons Podcast, God bless you until next time. Everybody have a wonderful weekend.